0: It's the Speeway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speeway. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Speedway Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I have a question for you. What do Annie... Barry, Mary, my snow angel, and my job have in common. All of them are stories, true stories, that demonstrate how God cares. I did this show because I am sometimes really saddened at how many people do not believe that God loves them and cares about them, or that he even exists. Actually, there, there are fewer people who don't believe he exists than people who don't think he really cares about them or that he really tries to help them. So that is why we're having this conversation today. Um, they, you know, People like that claim not to experience his presence, even as he surrounds them with love and support and assistance, that they chalk up to coincidence or happenstance. It is my hope that with these examples... From my own life, you can examine yours and see just a few of the ways that God has been there for you. Open your eyes and see how God cares in your life and in the lives of those around you. I was rather amused when I thought about this topic. I can't remember. There was something that happened that, that caused me to think about this, this particular show as, as a topic. And I got on Facebook and I said to all my Facebook buddies, hey, I'm going to do this show on how God cares, so why don't you tell me uh, how God has demonstrated his love and his caring in your life, and the responses I got were very encouraging, woo go, get on you mate, go ahead, talk about this topic, what a great idea, and not a single one gave me a substantive response to say, this is how God cares for me, so all y'all who are my Facebook friends, the next time I ask you for a uh, suggestion... Give me one, because I will actually uh, talk about it on the show. So anyway, here we go. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. Personally, I love stories, and uh, I know someone who, a great teacher once upon a time who actually did quite well with um, uh, telling stories and uh, parables as a way of teaching people and getting them to remember stuff. So I'm going to... Um, um, emulate his, uh, his, uh, his example and um, tell you a couple of stories. The first story that I'll tell you is the story of my snow angel. It happened when I was uh, newly divorced and um, had to learn so many things about running a house and doing maintenance on my own, and it was one thing after the other thing after the other. And, you know, when things are new to you, uh, you get to the point where you know, you're know you just kind of tired of learning and um, you're tired of having to do certain things that you didn't have to do before. This particular event occurred on a Christmas Eve several years ago. It had snowed and the driveway needed to be cleared. I was emotionally drained. It had been a really difficult year and I just did not have it in me to take the snow blower out and clear the snow one more time. I was tired. And um, so I'm, I'm, it's not that I didn't ever want to blow the snow again. I just needed a break that day. So I procrastinated for a long, long time. And finally, when I could no longer procrastinate because evening was approaching and I knew that if I didn't get the snow out of there, it was going to turn to ice and then it was going to be all ugly and treacherous and horrible, I finally donned my coat, my boots, my hat. And as I walked out into the garage to get the snowblower out, I was literally saying to God, you know, it would be so nice if just this once I could have someone else, Blow the driveway. Oh, Dad, I call him my dad. Dad, I'm so tired. Just as I was about to start the snowblower, I mean literally, my hand is on the key, and I'm just about to turn the key, when I heard the sound of a vehicle outside in my driveway because the garage door was closed. So I paused to listen, and I'm thinking, well, it's Christmas Eve. Um, My daughters are inside. I had not expected company. Uh, Who could that be? So I paused to listen, and I thought, well, maybe somebody, you know, drove into the driveway by mistake, and they're just pulling out, but the person didn't pull out. Next thing I know, ding, dong, there is a doorbell. Uh, my doorbell rings, and I opened the door, and what did I see? Oh. and he told me that he was driving in his truck in the neighborhood and he had a snow shovel attached. As he drove by my house, he saw that my driveway needed to be cleared and he was wondering if I would like him to blow my driveway and he would only charge me 15 dollars. Well, you can imagine what I thought about that. Heck, yeah, you can blow my driveway for $15. I'd be happy to let you blow my driveway for $15. I was tickled like you would not believe. So uh, as he was outside working on the driveway, I said to God, well, I don't know if that was just a coincidence. If he blows driveways on a regular basis to generate revenue, then I will know it was just a coincidence. But if he does not, then I will know that he was sent as a gift from you, my dad, my heavenly dad. So the guy is out there, and he uses his truck to move the snow out of the driveway. That by itself, because it's a a pretty wide, it's not a terribly long driveway, it's a city lot, so it's it's not really big, but it is kind of wide. So for him to to blow all the snow out of the driveway, that was definitely worth $15, and I was quite happy. So I pull out my checkbook, I'm ready to write him a check. Then I discover he's not done. Then he gets out his small snowblower and he blew the snow off along the garage door because it was too close to the garage for him to use the truck. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. That was definitely worth $15 and I was tickled to death. So I pull out my checkbook. I am ready to pay this nice, amazing man who was so nice and who did such a great job for my driveway. But he wasn't done. When he got done with that, he then got out his shovel and shoveled all the snow from the path to the front door. Woo, you want to talk about somebody who was beside herself with delight. I was really, truly amazed. And um, I was just, I was just so, so very happy. And uh, so when I gave him the check, I thanked him, and I asked him if he regularly does snow blowing around the neighborhood. And I'm waiting to find out, you know, now he has no idea why I'm asking, but, you know, I'm waiting to find out if this was God's gift or if this was just a fellow who just happened to be coming along. And what he said to me was, oh, no, actually, no, I don't do this for a living. I don't do this on a regular basis. I was just out running an errand for my wife, and I happened to, you know, I live in the neighborhood uh, across from you, and I just happened to drive by your house, and I saw that it looked like, you, you know, you could probably use someone to um, blow the driveway. This is the only house I have stopped at. Wow. So I can't tell you how much that touched me. And I remember closing the door after he left and just, I was crying. And so my daughters were looking at me wondering what on earth is wrong with me. And I told them that I was crying with joy because God had sent me the best Christmas gift ever, my very own snow angel. And it said to me that God had heard my prayer His timing, as always, was absolutely perfect. He still loved and cared about me despite the negative contributions I had made to the demise of my marriage. And he was so interested in me that he cared even about something as menial as blowing the snow off my driveway. So that was an expression of how God cared for me in that situation. Moving right along, after my snow angel uh, encounter, one of the things that I did ask God was to give me opportunities to be a snow angel for someone else. Now we fast forward to the following spring. Is this one particular day unremarkable for me? I was on my way to work and I was going to stop by the um, uh, dry cleaners on my way, and I happened to stop at a red light and it's kind of drizzly and ugly and snowy and, and, no, rainy and gray. And as I'm sitting there at the red light, I'm sort of looking around, and my eye is caught by a woman who is sitting all by herself on the bench at the corner at the bus stop. And the thing that caught my attention, first of all, she's sitting at the bus stop in the rain with no umbrella, Um, but the, the other thing that caught my attention was as I looked at her, I realized that she was crying. And, um, you know, you kind, of, you kind of get curious when you see that. Well, what on earth is her story that she's first thing in the morning, she's sitting out in the rain at the bus stop, no bus in sight, and she's crying. So I told my dad, my heavenly dad, okay, Father, if she is still there, when I return from uh, picking, up my, uh, picking up my dry cleaning, I will give her a ride. So back I drive, and, of course, she is still there. So I drove up behind her. Rolled down my passenger side window, and um, I figured I was in pretty a pretty good position to assume that she must need a ride, since she's sitting at the bus stop, right? So I called out to her, and I asked her if she would like a ride, and she said, "Oh, well, you know, I work in St. Paul; it's kind of far. I don't want to inconvenience you." And um, as I'm sitting there in my great big truck, all by myself, warm and cozy, I'm thinking, "Hey." Uh, compared to sitting outside in the bus in the rain, this is not at all a convenience to me. So I picked her up, and uh, she hops in the truck, and I say to her, so what went wrong in your day already that you're sitting at the bus stop boohooing at 8 o'clock in the morning? I was I was hoping to make her laugh, and she did smile, and she told me her story. This woman's name, I will never forget it. This was Mary. And Mary told me that she had been homeless for four years. Her dad had been a a maintenance uh, worker, and he did landscaping and property management for uh, several commercial properties, and he had taught her how to do his trade. After four years of homelessness, Mary had finally found a job, And she was doing the same thing, landscaping and property management for an apartment complex in St. Paul. And she loved her job. She absolutely loved it. And because she now had a job, she had been able to afford a small apartment. And she was just um, feeling like she finally was coming out of this, you know, really funky uh, time in her life. When today rolled around, her alarm did not go off, and she was afraid. She was crying because she was afraid that she would lose her job for being late. The other reason she was crying was because, you know, those of you who live in Minnesota and uh, the Twin Cities and places like Minnesota, um, you know, Minnesota is not a place that has a great public transportation System. We do not even almost compare to larger cities like Chicago, New York, London, where you know the bus system, the train system are so ubiquitous that you don't even have a car to get around. Um, Minnesota is not like that. So once you miss the buses that come through during the main rush hour peak rush hour periods, then you know its buses get more and more sparse. sparse as the day wears on. So part of what she's afraid of is she is not going to get a bus. She might not get a bus for a while sitting there because now it's after 8 o'clock and she's, she, she's missed her early morning bus. And not only that, but she had to make several transfers to get from her apartment to her job in St. Paul. So it was quite a distance, and by bus, of course, it was circuitous. so it was going to take a while. So there's no way to avoid being late. So um, this is why she's crying. After all of that, she told me that actually as she had been sitting there crying, Mary told me that she had prayed that God would find a way for her to get to work on time that day. Oh, please, oh, please, if there could be anybody who could help me. And uh, here I came. And as she told me the story, what I realized was that I now was Mary's angel. And... um, you know, for me, it was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be somebody else's snow angel. Because, you know, if you are the one who needs the angel, you are just, you know, it's like, oh, this angel just came out from nowhere to help me. God, how wonderful, how amazing it is that you sent this person, right? And when you are the angel, oftentimes you, you don't feel much like an angel at all. Because um, for me, I just happen to be driving by. And I just happened to see her, and I just felt compassion and thought, you know, I really need to help that woman, and why I think there is something I can do to help her, I can probably give her a ride. Just like when my snow angel came driving along the road, you know, he just happened to be driving down the street, and uh, I'm sure he at the time saw home after home after home where the driveways had been blown, and then he got to mine, and the snow was piled high, and... um, he could tell somebody was inside probably because the lights were on, and he just thought, hey, I can do something helpful, I bet you, that they need to have their, blood, their driveway um, cleared of the snow. So that was my, that was my second snow angel story. And, and it was funny because she literally said to me, you are my angel. You picked me up this morning. And I thought, well, I ain't feeling much like an angel, but I'm glad I got you to work on time. So... Um, now. Here's a whole other day. This is uh, one year, I don't even remember what year it was, but it was in the summertime. I was supposed to meet some girlfriends at a restaurant in downtown Minneapolis for dinner. My friend had said the restaurant was at the corner of 8th Street and Hennepin. And actually, my friend was Alva Waller, who has subsequently moved to um, uh, Washington, D.C. Hey, Alva, what's up? And so Alva had said, yes, yes, let's meet at, I forget where it was, it might have been Soleil, might have been the restaurant, one of those restaurants down there. And um, so I get to, now, Alva knows Minneapolis a lot better than I do, and I'm sure my other friends probably did too because they were already there. Now, I get to the corner of 8th and Hennepin, and, of course, the restaurant is not right at the corner of 8th and Hennepin. And um, because I had been delayed at work, I was already late. I tried calling Alva, and I couldn't reach her. tried calling the other women who I was supposed to meet, Dion and Fana, but I um, couldn't get a hold of them, and and all their phones went to voicemail. Uh, And I figured, and I was correct ultimately, that actually it was because they were already at the restaurant, and it was kind of noisy, and it was loud, and they couldn't hear me calling. So I'm standing there debating whether to go down 8th Street to find this restaurant or whether to go down Hennepin. Um, And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, and and, and I'm kind of flustered because I'm already late. And so I don't really want to take off down the, the street and then discover it's the wrong place and then have to turn around and come back. So as I'm standing there debating, I mumbled to God, you know, Lord, I, I, know, where you, I know you know where this restaurant is, and uh, I, I know that you can see it even as I'm standing here and not seeing it, so why don't you show me? And with that, I started walking down 8th Street. I had taken maybe four steps, one, two, three, four. When I heard a woman call out to me, excuse me, said she, and she was coming from behind me. Now, I'm sure some of you have been in the situation where someone calls out to you and you are positive that it is a stranger that you don't know because, first of all, you don't recognize the voice. Secondly, they didn't call you by your name, and yet they want your attention. In that moment, I debated, do I turn around and be delayed because I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to find this restaurant and I'm already late? Or, uh, so so do I ignore her and just keep going, because I'm sure I can probably outwalk her unless she's really, really persistent and pretend I didn't hear her? Or do I stop and turn around? I made the decision to stop and turn around, and when I did, I beheld the ugliest woman I had ever seen in my life. Her face was misshapen and looked a little bit like a mountain range because it was so uneven. She looked like she was missing several teeth and one of her two front teeth was broken off in like half the bottom half of her of one of her front teeth was missing. She was a black woman, but her skin tone and she was she was she was black, she was she was about my complexion. Um but her but but she had patches that were so um, blemished on her skin that they almost looked blue. So this is, you know, this is a very unattractive looking woman. I registered all of this as she walked towards me, and she asked me if I could pay, if I could spare seven dollars. Not usually when people panhandle, you know, they, they they ask you for money, they might ask you for food, but nobody who would ever ask me for money. Uh, had ever asked me for seven dollars and so i was curious and so i i asked her why she needed seven dollars specifically she explained that she wanted to spend the night at a shelter and it cost seven dollars a night she went on to tell me that her family lived in california and they were sending her a bus ticket so that she could leave the twin cities in the meantime She just needed to tide herself over for a few days while she waited for her ticket. So she was expecting to leave town in about three days, so she was going to be, you know, begging for money for the next three days so that she could at least go and stay in this particular shelter. Now, I used to be a board member at an organization called Aeon. Uh Aeon Homes is a builder of really nice affordable homes that include mixed-use properties and market rate rentals. So these are really nice homes that uh Aeon builds for um, their tenants. And many of the tenants uh that we have in the Aeon properties uh were formerly homeless people. And one of the things that I remember from a you know, not one, but several speeches from our tenants when they are asked to come and talk about what it means to them to have a home and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I've, I've listened to several of them uh, talk about how invisible these residents felt when they were homeless because of the way that people marginalized them, refused to make eye contact and just generally treat them like they're not human, real human beings. So armed with this incredibly insightful perspective of mine, (laughs) I decided to make use of my new acquaintance uh, who told me that her name was Annie. And I figured that there was an off chance that Annie just might know the city of Minneapolis a little bit better than I did because I don't live in Minneapolis. So if she's looking for a shelter in Minneapolis, maybe she's more familiar with the city. So I told her she could have her $7 if, she could tell me where this, pati- <laughs> where this particular restaurant was located. And, uh, you know, Annie smirked, and she said, Girl, you need to stop going where you were going, because you're going in the wrong direction. You need to turn around and go back down Hennepin Avenue that way. <laughs> As promised, I gave Annie, in fact, I gave her not just one, but I gave her the three days' worth of shelter money that she needed, um, to last her through the end of the week. And uh, I said, well, you know, I you, Annie, and um, I am so pleased that you helped me, but, uh, you know, since you need to stay in the shelter for three days, I'm going to give you at least that much. And um, it was an interesting thing because Annie was so moved that she started to cry and she blessed me. And she actually explained that the reason she needed to stay at the shelter Um, You know, I had assumed that perhaps she might have been homeless through some strange circumstances. Um, But what she explained was that she was hiding from her abusive boyfriend. And as she explained, it was like a veil was lifted over my eyes. I was then able to see. It was like... God opened my eyes, and I understood why Annie was so ugly. The misshapen face and the black and blue skin, the broken teeth, had all been caused by Annie's boyfriend. That is why she needed to get away from him. I could not imagine what pain she must have experienced at his hand to look that bad. And there in the middle of the street with all the people rushing by, Annie and I made a special connection and we hugged each other. She was my sister and I was her sister. I wished her well and wished her luck in her journey and she bid me farewell. As I walked down Hennepin Avenue, I was struck. I I mean, just literally struck to the point of just laughing out loud by God's sense of humor. Because no sooner had I asked him to show me where the restaurant was than he sent Annie to tell me where the restaurant was. But in order for me to get the help I needed, I had to help her first. Had I ignored her when she called to me and had I just kept walking, you know, I'm sure God would have found somebody else to give her the money she needed and give her the help she required. But, he, but God would have let me walk all the way down Eighth for one block or two blocks before I turned around. Um, And that would have been the punishment for my uncharitable heart. And uh, heaven only knows how many blocks I'd have wandered around before I had realized I was going the wrong way. The other thing that I found so noteworthy was the fact that when Annie stopped me, I thought that I was there to help her. It never occurred to me that she had been sent to help me. Isn't that something? The last story I will tell you about in my um, quest to demonstrate how God cares in the hope that you, too, will look at your own life and the lives of others around you and see how God cares. I will tell you the story about Barry. Barry is, is my motorcycle. And uh, not too long ago, if you're you're, uh, one of my Facebook friends or if you you have liked my fan page, you will have seen a very sad message that I issued where I said, "Ah, to everything there is a season. And I have felt for some time that my season as a biker chick has come to an end. because I needed to turn my focus and attention to other, more pressing matters. Although I felt the conviction with certainty, I was sad, because I really enjoyed the time that I have had with Barry, my motorcycle. I decided that I was going to sell Barry on consignment through the uh, nearest Harley-Davidson dealership. Having made the decision now, my biggest problem was coordinating my schedule with any of my friends so that they could bring me home after I dropped Barry off. So I was trying to decide, you know, who can I impose upon? And as I was debating who I was going to ask and inconvenience, one of my friends just happened to come by the house unexpectedly and offered, as I was talking about this bike, offered to take me to the Harley-Davidson dealership so I could drop off my bike. And I thought, ha, how serendipitous, because if he had not shown up when he did, it would have been at least a good week and a half before I would have been able to um, take Barry to the dealership. So anyway, it was a bit of a challenge because by the time we decided to head out, it was after hours, but... My plan was that I'm at least going to drop Barry off at the dealership, park him outside to the service entrance, take the keys with me, and then tomorrow I was going to come in, bring in the keys when the shop was open, and uh, get the paperwork processed to hand him over. So we get to the dealership, and uh, my friend is, is in the car in front of me, and I'm following on my bike. And we get to the dealership, and I am just absolutely dismayed because I find that there is not a single bike outside in the parking lot. There were maybe two vehicles there. And what that meant was that mine was now the only bike in the entire parking lot and probably now an increased target of theft, vandalism, and all sorts of mischief if I left Barry sitting out there all by himself for the rest of the night. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, well, this kind of sucks. I don't want to do that. And uh, just as I turn off my motorcycle and I head towards my friend's car to discuss the situation and see what he thought, guess what happened? Even though this was two hours after the Harley Davidson store had closed because it was open until 5 and this was a little bit after 7 a door opened and out comes this man who was evidently one of the employees and he said hi to me and he explained quite apologetically that the only person who could bring in my bike was Andy, the service center parent guy Andy just happened to still be there So he offered, this guy offered to go in and see if Andy would be willing to come out and get the bike. Otherwise, I'd have to return in the morning and, you know, the bike would either have to sit outside or I'd have to take the bike back with me. And, you know, it was a funny, the the funny thing about it was the way that he apologized for the fact that they were closed. um, He did it as if he had been expecting me. And he did it as if I had any right. To expect that um, there would be somebody there to help, which of course I didn't, because it was two hours after the place closed. So I said, "Great, I would love, uh, I'd love it if you go talk to uh, Andy and see if he can come out." Not a minute later, the service door opens, and out comes Andy. And Andy was just the nicest, most helpful fellow, and um, he was not at all unhappy about taking Barry inside. I thought I would at least have to get back on the bike and ride it in, but he told me not to worry about a thing. He gave me his name. He confirmed the name of the person I needed to talk to the next day and he jumped on my belly and disappeared into the shop. And uh on, on the one hand, you know, I i it's a little bit like giving your dog away, you know, you you sort of you want to have the last hug and the last stroke and the last touch and I sort of thought, Oh, I don't even get to jump on Mary and let him go inside. And in hindsight, I think God intentionally did that so I wouldn't start, you know, getting all emotional about my motorcycle. <laughs> so when I get into the car, my friend who had, who had driven up there with me said, you know, God must have been watching over you for the timing to have worked out so perfectly because I, I kid you not, it was less than a minute Uh, from the time that I turned, that I got, I parked the bike and turned it off before the first guy came out. And I'm sure these guys were probably, you know, they're still working and they're probably just leaving, uh, or trying to get ready to leave because they were, you know, two hours in and they were still there. So that for me was just another example of how God cared for me and he, um, it, you know, and and sometimes it's stuff that you would think, why would the why would the creator of the entire universe care about my Harley Davidson bike? Which, by the way, I don't think he actually ever supported me having in the first place. And because um, I, you know, sometimes you get that still small voice, and I remember when I was buying that bike, that still small voice said something about trying to keep my life simple. And I, but I wanted a bike, so I went and got a bike. So I always kind of knew. That I had this bike on borrowed time, and I was always afraid that one day, you know, um, I would find out that actually the reason God didn't think it was a good idea for me to have the bike was because, you know, I got squished by somebody and was forever maimed or not even as bad as being maimed, got killed. And uh, I'd be standing there in front of my father saying, well, you know, you didn't have to go make me go out like that. And God would have been like, I told you not to get the bike. So anyway, um, all that to say, in conclusion, as I stop digressing, if you pay attention and stay in tune, you will notice more and more in your life all of the big and the little ways that God comes to you. come in the form of a small event that cheers you up and makes you laugh on a day when you're particularly down or when things just seem to be going wrong. He may come in the hug and the smile and a word of encouragement of a long-lost friend or even a group of friends who just turn up unexpectedly when you really need the support. I remember he did that to me when my dad died. I had... Um, it was a, most of it was a blur from the time that i found out that my dad passed away until I, I i later later into the the time but i remember between the time i left my house to go to the airport and the time i got on the plane there were at least four or five of my friends who i just happened to run into completely unscripted completely unexpected along the way and every single one of them um was encouraging, I didn't necessarily tell them my dad passed away because I didn't really want to talk about it. But every single one of them was there. My, my very good friend Miguel and, and her friend just happened to be sitting at the airport. Um, as I was leaving, and they're headed off to, I think it was California she was going to, and they're flying standby. Talk about seeing people unexpectedly. Um, my bestest best friend, Bridget, just happened to be at the airport with her family, and they were headed on a family vacation somewhere. I have never since seen that many people at the airport. My really good friend, Ben, um, my best male friend, Ben, was at the airport that day, and he said, where are you? And I was at gate, you know, I was at like gate G, and he was at gate F. And so he said, well, hold on right there. And he came around uh, to see me off. And on my way to the airport, my good friend, Linus, um, who... Lived and he lived in, the, in sort of the neighborhood, you know, down the road and sort of around the corner from for me. Um, and when he had told my father passed away, and he said, you know, stay where you are. And I, I happened to stop by Barnes and Noble, and he dropped whatever he was doing, came flying over to Barnes and Noble to, to to encourage me and to tell me that God still loved me and to to just to just be there. And so, you know, I have had and I have seen that happen to other people. Um, my Facebook friends, when something bad happens, you know, they come back and they say, you know what, thank you so much, I'm good because you have given me so much encouragement and I feel so much better, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, God does that for people. And so there are lots and lots of ways that God can care about you like that. You may be struggling with a question or an issue. And uh, you find, to your surprise, that someone comes along at exactly the right time and gives you exactly the answer that that you were looking for, and they don't even realize that you were struggling with the question at that particular moment in your life. Your blessing may even come in what appears to be a stressful transition or a delay in something that you intended to do that initially appears negative but later turns out to have saved you. You may be thinking, you know, that job change is absolutely going to be horrible because you're going to have to give up your friends. You're going to have to give up your, you know, all the things and the places that you love. And then, wouldn't you know it, you walk into a whole new transition in your life, and it's absolutely amazing. So in whatever form it takes, watch, marvel, and rejoice in all of the ways that God cares about you. And know above all things that he loves you and he cares about all the important things and all of the little things i have even sometimes asked god to help me find my keys and it feels like too much of a thing to ask the creator of the universe so i i I like to ask his son and i'll say why jesus i know you know where my keys are so why don't you show me or you know jesus i know you know where my headphones are and i really need to get to the gym why don't you show me where they are And I kid you not that sometimes I find that, you know, I I end up with the inspiration to search in places that I never would have thought to look. And there are my keys, or there is my headset, or there is that thing I was looking for. And so all that to say, God cares even about the little, little day-to-day things. I was at the gym once, and I had just had a horrible day. And I was grumpy and, you know, felt like life just sucked in that moment. And I was um, uh, leaning back on the bench press to lay down, and I was wearing a um, tank top of some kind. And uh, I remember when my back hit that bench, it was freezing cold, and I jumped up. And it was just the funniest thing because, you know, I kind of felt like um, I felt God's presence. And it was like he was trying to to make me laugh, even in that particular situation when, you know, I'd been so serious and I was just angry and, and hurting over whatever it was that I was angry and hurting over. But I just remember laughing and thinking, you know, how kind my father is that he would seek to, tickle me and and create some levity even in a situation like this so he cares about the big things he cares about the little things so all that to say um be encouraged and pay attention and see it when god cares for you so that is the end of our show today and um in whatever form it takes, watch, marvel, and rejoice in all the ways that God cares for you. Go in peace. Until next week, this is the Thank you, you for joining another. us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash Show. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully